The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this September 7th, 2016 edition. Well, it's been a rough couple of weeks, let me tell you. I am having to learn a whole new software program called Pro Tools 12, which they tell me takes a few years to learn. So I'm learning the basics, and I am very slow going at this thing. But I am able to record shows, editing, and the rest of the stuff, like downloading in certain formats and everything else, is a total chore on this new software. So it's been quite a chore. And I kind of thought I would have my Mike Hoggard interview up over the weekend and it didn't happen and I want to apologize and then of course again it's been a very very rough couple of weeks I've really honestly been hit with the kitchen sink and I'll tell you it's been very interesting and it's really not surprising with the release of a very powerful book that really is a very serious threat to the kingdom of darkness we're in a serious battle for our lives and Satan's not playing, and I don't want Christians to be playing around either. I want them to learn how to exercise proper authority and how to equip them. I was thinking of a scenario in my head. It's like picture a boardroom. You picture a boardroom, you picture a bunch of military personnel. They come in and they say, oh, what are you guys doing here? What are you doing? And the colonel says, I'm teaching these guys how to tactically deal with the enemy. And the general says, oh, wait a minute. We don't talk about the enemy. We don't talk about tactical anything. Can you even wrap your head around that scenario on a battlefield? It's unthinkable. And yet that is exactly what's going on in the church. We don't want to talk about the enemy. Well, it's about time we started talking about the enemy, the retaliation and backlash, which I'm also getting a crash course on how to deal with lots of practical learning. But in any event, the book is finally released and people are now getting it. I actually have a lady just sent me a picture yesterday holding her copy of the book. I'm very excited. It's arriving. So be patient. It will be in your hands very soon. And I'm really looking forward to the testimonies, which I want to hear. And again, sound like a broken record, but do get yourself a journal. Start documenting and start seeing which prayers are transforming your life. Which ones are your favorite? powerprayers.ca. Bookmark that, powerprayers.ca. It is under construction, but you can see the front page of the book, and there's a direct link on how to order the book. And if you're listening and you haven't ordered it, get it. Well, I have a really exciting guest back on the program. He's a regular, and he's very popular. Of course, you can find him at Watchman Broadcast, Pastor Mike Online. He's got a great show. It is Pastor Mike Hoggard. Pastor Mike Welcome back to the program. It's always a pleasure. Good to be back with you, Sheila. Great to have you back on, Mike. Hey, listen, you're doing a fantastic series on the human body. You get into the blood, the DNA. So fascinating. I'm just going to let you have the mic, Pastor Michael, and you take it away. Um, I started several years ago. I I met a man. uh, We was doing conferences for Southwest Radio uh, out of Oklahoma City. Uh, his name was Chuck Thurston. He is an ER doctor, and he wrote a little book called Aleph Bet Soup, and it was about some of the things about the Hebrew alphabet. And Chuck and I became friends. We still talk every now and then. And Chuck is the first one who ever introduced me to the idea that when the Bible says that our body is the temple of God, it it's not just some metaphorical language or some spiritual context. What Chuck showed me was is that the cells in our body, our body is made up of all of these little these little stones like cells, uh, skin cells, blood cells, cells in our hair, cells that make up our liver, uh, our organs, our bones, things like that. They're all made up of individual cells. And what Chuck showed me in a very simple way was that our individual cells and the way they are designed is, an, is a duplicate or a replication of the tabernacle that God told Moses to build. The cell membrane is the curtain that makes the courtyard. The, um, the sanctuary 
is the nucleus of the cell, and in the sanctuary is where the book of the law was. It was the law that God gave to Moses. Moses wrote it down uh, in Hebrew, rolled it up like a scroll, and put in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. Well, in the nucleus of every cell that you have, with the exception of red blood cells, in that nucleus of every cell in your body is a rolled-up scroll of a book called deoxyribonucleic acid. It is the, the law of who you are. It is the, um, uh, the blueprint, the architect's plans. It is the recipe on how to make every part of your body, and it's rolled up just like a scroll, and it's in the nucleus. The altar where they would bring the sacrifices in and burn those sacrifices on the altar, that's the mitochondria. The mitochondria in your cell literally is an altar because it takes sugar in from your bloodstream. I found this out when I found out I had diabetes. It takes sugar in from your bloodstream and then sends it over to the mitochondria, and the mitochondria in your cell burns it for, for energy for the cell. When my blood sugar gets high, I get very weak and very tired, almost like I had the flu. And that's because the sugar is not going into the cell so that it can be burnt in the mitochondria and provide energy for my cells. But this thing that I was looking at, I was my jaw dropped when he showed me this. He said, Mike, literally, in every way possible, your, every cell of your body is a, an exact replica of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And what that meant to me was, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is the first place he said it, but he said, know you not that your body is the temple of God. And from that moment on, everything that God said in his book, as far as I was concerned, became very, very real. And so I just had this fascination then with learning the cell learning the body. I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, a biologist, or anything like that. A lot of this stuff that we learned in high school, Sheila, we just we forgot all about. We figured right. we'd never use it in real life. But there it is now becoming uh, just as real uh, as you and I are talking. And so uh, over the years, I've done different videos on this. I did uh, one called uh, Jesus Christ DNA and the Holy Bible, and it's based upon uh, Psalm 139, uh, verse 16, where David said, In thy book all my members were written, which in continuance was fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And we need to understand that 3,000 years ago is when David sat down by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he wrote this out. And basically what he was saying was, In thy book and DNA, what we know now about DNA is that it's written and organized exactly like a book. Sheila, when your DNA is is going to code for making the proteins and making the various organs and cells in your body, um, it follows the book. It follows exactly what the book says. And when your DNA codes for what's called amino acids, you can think of amino acids as like individual letters that make up a word. The neat thing about it is, is that there are 22 of those amino acids that when they are grouped together, they form the words of your, of your genetic code. And incidentally, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And when Moses was writing out his book of the law, he wrote it in those 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and he put it in the most holy place of the temple or the tabernacle, which is the cell nucleus, and one perfectly corresponds with another. Not only does your DNA book uh, write out words, it actually has, and this is something they discovered several years ago, as these scientists are learning to read DNA, they notice that there is a code in the genetic code that keeps repeating itself over and over. And what they realized was was that was the DNA's way of saying, okay, at this point, for the next however long string it is, this is going to be a code that makes skin cells, or this is going to be a code that makes 
enzymes in your liver or whatever it is. And what they realized was they were looking at the DNA being organized like a book like we read. It has a beginning of a sentence and it has the end of a sentence. And what they called it was stop codon. In other words, every few amino acids in the genetic code, there would be a period at the end of a sentence. And then there would be like a paragraph marker to show whatever processes go on to show that a new sentence or a new genetic code was starting. When you hear things on the radio like, you know, scientists discovered the gene uh, that causes stupidity in atheists or something like that, (laughs) (laughs) the genetic scientist, and I'm sure there's got to be something in somebody's genetic code that makes them be an atheist. They just can't figure God out. But anyway, the reason why they're able to do that is because they found out that our genetic code was not just some random scattering of the building blocks of the human body. It's that it's actually organized just like a publisher would print out a book. It's actually organized in that very fashion with the beginning of a paragraph, the end of a sentence, the beginning of a new sentence, and so on. And that's how they're able to read DNA. It's because it is literally a book. And if it's a book, then God is the one who wrote that book. And so 3,000 years ago, here is David, uh, the king of Israel. He's just a shepherd boy, as far as that matters. And yet he knows now more about DNA that for nearly 3,000 years, no one else knew. He said, in thy book, all my members were written. And he's talking about the members of, of his body which in continuance was fashioned when as yet there was none of them. When David was conceived in his mother's womb, there was he didn't have fingers, he didn't have toes, he didn't have hair, he didn't have those freckles on his face. The Bible says he was ruddy, which means he's, he was red-haired, freckled face. He didn't have any of that stuff, but it was already written down in his book that God wrote for him that later on in life he was going to develop these things. And here's what, here's what occurred to me was not only is DNA a book, it is a book of prophecy. Because when the genetic code is written inside of a woman's womb, the things that that code represents have not occurred yet, but they are going to occur. And that matches what we know about our Bible, is that our Bible is a sure word of prophecy. And that there are things in this Bible that have not happened yet, but we know for a fact that they are because both our Bibles and our DNA is a book of prophecy. It foretells and encodes things that is going to happen. And so as I'm, as I'm looking through all this inf- information, I'm just, man, I'm stunned. I am just fascinated with this because now it's opened up just this whole new understanding of just how real and how right my Bible is. Last year, I sat down and, you know, I've done things on the DNA and I've talked about the, how the body is a temple. I, I do that in Africa. Every time I go, the, Ken, the Africans, the Kenyans love hearing about how their body literally is uh, the temple of God. Let me let me let me go down this route for a minute, and then we'll talk about the blood because the blood's really fascinating. In Revelation chapter four, this is what I share with the people in Kenya, and they absolutely love it. In Revelation four, John gets to see the throne in heaven. He's he's looking into the temple of God in heaven, and here's what he sees. You can read this in Revelation chapter four. He sees these four living creatures and. Above these four living creatures is a, Ezekiel calls it a firmament. It's like a, um, a, uh, a platform, and it, he calls it like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And then on top of this platform is a throne. And he says, and one sat on the throne. And then he says he sees these seven lamps burning, which are the seven spirits of God. He sees the sea of glass. He hears thunderings, lightnings, and voices. And then the Bible says he sees 24 elders, and they're all dressed in white, and they are surrounding the throne of God there in in heaven in Revelation 4. 
And here's what's neat to me is that, number one, the throne that John saw corresponds to our heart. Our heart is the center. It's the seat of our being. It is where our soul is. And our heart, just like the throne of God, was suspended or carried by four living creatures, our heart has four chambers in it, just like the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just like the four Levite priests that always carried around the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God, and just like four cherubs carried the throne of God in Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4, you have four Levite priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So our heart is the throne of God. And then John saw it, Ezekiel saw it, that it was surrounded by a sea of glass. Then he uses the word sea, S-E-A, like an ocean. Surrounding your heart is a sack. It's a sack of water. It's called the pericardium. The pericardium is full of salt water. Same salinity factor as what's in the oceans of the world. Literally, our heart is surrounded by a sea. John said he heard thunderings, lightnings, and voices. When we listen to our heartbeat, it sounds like thunder. Our heart beats because of electrical impulses that are generated that cause the various chambers of the heart to push blood through or pull blood in. So there's the thundering and the lightning, and then your voice box is located just above where your heart and lungs are, but that's still part of this area where literally your body is the temple. And then he said he saw the seven spirits of God. Well, the word spirit is related to the Greek word pneuma, and what they both mean is air or breath or wind. Your two lungs, and the reason why we have two of them is because we have two parts to our Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Your two lungs are divided into seven different parts. You have, on your right lung, you have three lobes. You have three specific sections of your right lung. On your left lung, you only have two because it has to make room for the heart. And then you have the two trachea tubes that are going down into both lungs. And all seven of those parts, when we breathe in, go through the one, like our um, esophagus that comes out of our mouth. It either comes in our nostrils or comes out our nostrils. But the seven spirits of God are the seven parts to our lungs. Here's what's, to me, really fascinating. When John saw the 24 elders robed in white, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, ah, no, there's no way. And I looked it up, and sure enough, surrounding our heart, surrounding our lungs, Surrounding where the thundering and the lightnings and the voices are, are 24 ribs dressed in white that literally surround that entire area of our body. In every way imaginable, our body literally is the temple, the dwelling place of Almighty God. And again, when I've, I've been to Kenya now three times. The last two times I've shared this with those people. And I tell them, look, while the rest of the world may not think much about the African, God thinks so much of you that he designed and built you so that you could be the house of God. And God would choose to dwell in you. And when I would say that, they would shout. They'd get up and do their little dance. And I'm just, I mean, I'm having a ball with them because these people realize that no matter what the world thinks of them, God loves them and God designed them to be his temple. Now, I'm going to throw a little bit of uh, my own personal conspiracy idea into this, Sheila, and I'm going to, I want to get your, um, I want to get your reaction on this, all right? If our body is the temple, it is a temple made without hands, because God said in his word that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. So, literally, we've just found out now that down to the cellular level, our body is the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, the temple, that from you know, where we see our heart and the pericardium and the lungs and the 24 ribs being the 24 elders. Literally, our body is designed and shaped like the tabernacle or the temple of God that John saw in Revelation chapter 4. So, I'm going to bring a verse into play here. Second Thessalonians 2, here's what the Bible tells us. It says, be, you know, be not, that you be not soon shaken in mind, 
For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, from everything that I just explained, according to that verse, what would then you think the temple of God that the Antichrist is going to sit in, what do you think that temple would be? I think the human body. Absolutely. And here's here's what's going on. I just, and before I um, came on the air with you, um, I read all kinds of books. I read books on masonry written by masons. And I was reading, uh, let's see if I can pull it up real quick. I was reading a book about the symbolism of the lodge. And the author was talking about Solomon's temple and the building of Solomon's temple. And he alluded to the idea that, of course, the temple would be the human body, the dwelling place of God. So in masonry, there is an acknowledgement that the rebuilding of Solomon's temple may not necessarily have as much to do with using stone and wood and a location in Jerusalem to rebuild a temple. The idea in masonry is is that the temple that they are referring to is the human body. If you go to the House of the Lodge Temple in Washington, D.C., and I've been there, and they take you, I didn't think I'd ever get in. They take you on a tour and they show you just about every part of the building. And I'm just, I'm just taking all this in because I'm understanding some of the symbolism behind it. But in the, in the House of the Lodge Temple, they have a sign over the door that says, Mason rebuilds its temples in the hearts of men. Wow. Yeah. In other words, they're telling you the temple that Masons are going to rebuild has nothing to do with stone and wood. It has everything to do with human beings. Now, I'm going to give you something else to go along with this. Our DNA, which is the book that God wrote, is packaged into 46 packages called chromosomes. Every animal has a different number of chromosomes, but humans have exactly 46. In the tabernacle that Moses built, God was specific about the instructions. He said, Moses put 20 boards down the north side, 20 boards down the south side, and six across the back. That's 46 total. And what that is, that those boards were the sanctuary where the most holy place was, where the book of the law was. So you have it, a, a perfect example of the 46 chromosomes where the DNA is stored. You have the 46 boards that made the tabernacle where the book of the law is stored. Solomon's temple, when he built it, he put two pillars in, in the front of it, one called Jachin, one called Boaz. When you go read the dimensions in the Bible of these two pillars, they're both 23 cubits tall apiece, 46 total. Masonry teaches that there's something special about the two pillars of Jachin and Boaz. There's, there's something hidden inside those pillars, something that one of these days is going to come out. When Jesus was having the conversation with the scribes and Pharisees and they were talking about the temple, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And of course, they went nuts over this and they said, Forty and six years was this temple in making. That exact number, 46. 46 in Solomon's temple with the pillars. 46 as far as the boards that make the sanctuary. 46 years that it took them to make that temple in Jesus' day. And oh, by the way, 1 Corinthians, where it tells us that your body is the temple of God, that's the 46th book of the Bible, starting from Genesis. And so here's the thing. You go to the House of the Temple Lodge in Washington, D.C., and I always count stuff. Okay, that's just me. I always see what the number is. Inside the temple, they have two winding staircases. This is part of Freemasonic ideology. They always talk about the winding staircase, and they always talk about it as a representation of the elevation of man. As the tour guide was taking us up, there's two of them. There's two winding staircases that take you into the main lodge room. That's the one that Dan Brown was writing about in The Lost Symbol. As I'm going up the steps, Sheila, I'm counting silently to myself. 
And I go up this set of steps, and when I get to the top one, I say 23. I just walked up 23 steps, and there's two of them. So that means there's 46 steps exactly that take you from the lower part of, of, the, of the lodge up into the great big lodge room where they have a throne there that's exactly 33 feet tall. Think of, uh, think of the Antichrist. And on the outside of the Masonic Lodge in Washington, D.C., it's built um, in, a, in a peculiar way. It has the structure of a Greek temple, and then on top of that is a step pyramid. And what uh, Manley Hall says, what Albert Pike says, is that it's a representation of the joining together of heaven and earth. But here's the interesting thing. On that Greek temple part, there's these columns. There's exactly 33 of them. On the step pyramid part, there's 13 of those steps. 33 plus 13 equals 46, exactly. So when Masonry tells you that they are all about rebuilding the temple, what they're referring to is rebuilding the human body in such a way so that it is ready for the man of sin, the son of perdition, to dwell in it. And think about it. If masonry rebuilds a temple with man's hands, God then says, I cannot dwell in that temple. It's like Ichabod, the glory has departed. And so here's what I think is going on. I think with all the advances in biology, technology, I'm reading things about uh, the virtual reality headsets. I'm looking at things in technology where us humans are one step closer just about every day to merging ourselves in with technological devices. I'm looking at the CRISPR editing system which is sciences, it's a very easy, very uh, inexpensive way for humans to rewrite God's book of our DNA. If God wrote our DNA, there's rules. In, in Deuteronomy, God says this, and in Revelation 22, Jesus says this. If any man shall add to the words of this book, I will add to him the plagues written therein. If any man shall take away of the words of this book, I will take his name out of the book of life. And so we know that that's true according to the Bible, but it's also true when it comes to our DNA. God wrote our DNA, and the instructions to man is don't change it. Don't take something out and don't put something in. The CRISPR editing system is precisely that. It seeks to rewrite things that the scientist or the medical doctor or the person or whatever, things that they don't like about their DNA, things they don't like about their body. We are now stepping into the era of man being able to, with his own hand, transform what used to be the temple of God, and I believe that it's leading to the time where man will be the very dwelling place of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the beast. And so that's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on in this world. Now, you wanted to talk about, you wanted to talk about blood, though, today, didn't you? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you said the tip of the iceberg, and obviously, Mike, the intense cross-pollination between the computer, the biotech, the nanotech, the robots, the unprecedented, even Chinese geneticists right now, just last week, there was a big story, conduct the first human gene editing trial, and then, frighteningly, you've got China going a step further in the law of eugenics, they're proposing that people with a medical history of undesirable genetic traits should be even forbidden to marry. So, you know, whether it's CERN or these plasma conduits and directed energy weapons or terraforming, transhumanism, all this artificial intelligence, it's not really surprising that we're, it's almost like we're being acclimated for the mark of the beast, really, isn't it? Exactly. You're exactly right. Think about, think about as us Christians, those of us who believe the Word of God, we believe in salvation by grace, we believe in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. 
Paul said that we are sealed by the Holy Ghost unto the day of redemption. I think the mark of the beast, Revelation 13, 18, um, where the false prophet says he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or a forehead. I believe that that mark seals those who are slated for destruction. In other words, I do not believe for a minute that humanity is going to be dragged at gunpoint, kicking and screaming, and they're going to be beat up and then threatened with death unless they take this mark. I, right now, what I see is people, I think people are going to line up for this, Sheila. I think people are going to want this mark in them, whether it's genetic, whether it is electronic, or a fusion of both. I think mankind is going to say of this mark, this is what we want. It is going to be a mark of transformation. Just like one of these days, Christ is going to appear in the clouds. We're going to be caught up together with those that have died in Christ. And immediately we are going to be translated like Enoch was. We're going to be transformed and have this new body. If you flip that upside down and look at what's going on in this world, mankind now is on the verge of being able to fundamentally transform humanity as we know it. It will happen, I believe, on the cellular level. It will happen. I think it will be a transformation of man's cells, man's heart, man's soul, man's blood. And there's some interesting things about blood that I found out. And, and when, I, when I taught this, I, I used the illustration of like the blood being a picture of Christ's uh, atonement and how God deals with things. Let me, let me explain a little bit about blood. There's four, four parts of blood that I cover. Plasma, red blood cells, white blood cells, and, and platelets. Plasma is about, fit, it makes up about 55% of our blood volume, but it's about 95% water. And so if you've ever looked at a picture of the arterial system of mankind. You have these major blood veins, these blood vessels, and they branch off into these smaller ones, which in turn branch off even to these even smaller ones. I live not too far. I'm sitting right, uh, right next to the Mississippi River. It's the major river that runs north to south in America, and everything from the Rocky Mountains to the Appalachian Mountains ends up flowing into the Mississippi River. My dad was a river man, so I'm somewhat familiar with this. If you, were to comp if you were to look at an overhead picture of a river system and then look at a picture of the human vascular system, your jaw would drop. Literally, in our body is a river system that most of what's in our blood veins is plasma, which most of that is water. So we literally have a river system flowing inside of our body. Let me give you a psalm, Psalm 46. There is a river, the streams wherever shall make glad uh, the city of God. Psalm 65, 9, thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Remember where we came from. We came from the earth. Does God water us? Yes, he does so by way of the river system that we have, which is our, our vascular system. Uh, even Psalm 78 mentioned that God turned their rivers into blood. And so the, the plasma system that we have is a, is a river of water that is flowing through this, and it, and it waters every part of our body. Our cells need hydration, so when we drink water, we drink fluids. That then goes into our vascular system, and it becomes part of the river system that feeds our entire body. I want to talk about red blood cells for a minute because that, to me, is fascinating. Let me give it like this. In the Bible, there is always this connection between blood and wine. Even God calls uh, grape juice the blood of grapes. When Jesus had that cup there, 
and it was full of the fruit of the vine, grape juice, wine. He said, take heed. This is my blood of the New Testament. Drink ye all of it in remembrance of me. Here's something a little fascinating I found out, is that grapes come in two colors, red and white. The two main types of cells that make up our blood are red and white blood cells. Just like grapes come, just like wine is, we have that same thing going. Red blood cells, if you find a picture on the internet of what these things look like, they look like cups. They look like little bowls. And what these blood cells do is that they, they carry two things. Number one, they carry oxygen from the lungs. And number two, they carry nutrients, the things, the water, the food that we drink. That's what they carry. They carry them through the vascular system, deposit them to the individual cells, and then when they deposit them there, their journey's not done. They have to take the waste that's produced by these cells and carry that back, and that waste comes out either through, you know, like our bathroom, or it comes out through our, our breath. Then we get into the white blood cells, and this is one of my favorite, favorite things to talk about. And here's something I think, number one, I think it has moral implications. I think it also has spiritual implications as well. One of the things that we know for a fact that the transhumanists like Ray Kurzweil and others are wanting to do, they are wanting to be able to stop death. Ray Kurzweil, if you have ever read any of his articles, if you read any of his books, uh, there's a documentary that he participated in about his life and about his work. Ray Kurzweil, to me, has this massive fear of death. He comes out and says, I do not want to die. I want to continue living. Yeah. The guy sw swallows about 200 vitamin supplements and pills every single day. He is trying to keep himself alive because he believes that in the next, let's say, 20 to 25 years, he believes that technology is going to advance to such a point as to where we will find out how to make ourselves immortal. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the lie that the serpent told to Eve was, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods. Ye shall be immortal. And so Ray Kurzweil and the spirit that is behind him, it's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The spirit behind Ray Kurzweil, the spirit behind all of the transhumanist movement, the spirit behind the CRISPR editing system. And Sheila, you were right. And I actually have uh, your website pulled up uh, on my screen when my recording of this interview goes out. It's going to have uh, your website up there. And you, you make mention of an article, Chinese scientists to conduct first human gene editing trial. Um, they actually, after I put that up and everybody clicked on that, they took it down. The original article, I see they've removed it. So I'll try wow. to, yeah, I just noticed that right now. They've actually removed it. Everybody was emailing me, commenting, oh, it's funny. We all went to that page and then they removed it. It was that original, original story was up and now it's, you'd be hard pressed to find it on the internet, but boy, that thing is, uh, it's hard to get that original link to that story now. From what we find out, the CRISPR editing system is so easy and so cheap. High school students can buy a kit and alter the genetic structure of whatever comes in that kit. That's how cheap and that's how easy this process is. I, I equate it to a bucket of water being poured out. Once you pour out a bucket of water, you will never get that water back in that bucket. It's out there. Now that the CRISPR editing tool is out there, China, and they can take down all the websites they want, China is doing it. There's no doubt in my mind, Sheila, that North Korea is doing it. Russia is doing it. Middle Eastern nations that hate Jews and Americans 
they either are now or are going to do it. Think about the ramifications of this. Think about, because um, I don't know what your, your nation of origin is. United States and Ireland. United, okay, Ireland, okay. My, um, on my dad's side, they're English, British. On my mom's side, they're German, all right? And each one of those peoples has a little bit different character traits in their genetic structure. Let's say that, oh, Saudi Arabia and Iran and, uh, and, and ISIS, they're all pooling their money together and they're working on a virus that is genetically modified so that it only infects and kills those who are of a Jewish bloodline, those who are of a European descent, and they can do this. They can develop a virus that could be um, sprayed throughout the entire world, but it would only infect those who have certain genetic markers in their body. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's out of the bucket now, and now it's going to be used. It's going to be used as a weapon, but I think worse than that, it's going to be used to genetically modify probably and practically every human on the face of the earth, with the exception of those of us who are born again, and fundamentally transform them into something that God never intended when he created. Let me bring in the white blood cell, and I'll show you what it does, and then we can see how the devil is going to have an alternative to that. White blood cells, if you've ever had a zit ever had a pimple, ever had a cyst or a boil of some kind, you know what white blood cells are. That's what zits have in them. That's what pimples have in them. They have white blood cells. That's that white stuff you see there. White blood cells are the, the scouring, the soap. They are the bleach of the body. White blood cells go through your body, and they look for anything that is unclean. They look for dirt. They look for germs, bacteria. They look for anything that is foreign to the body. When someone uh, has some kind of organ transplant, um, when they bring that organ from somebody else's body into their body, the doctors have to massively suppress their immune system because their immune system is going to pick up. This organ doesn't belong here. It's an invader, and we're going to try to destroy it. And so they have to suppress a person's immune system so that they can, so they don't reject that organ. But any kind of dirt or any kind of bacteria or anything unclean that gets in your body, here's what the white blood cell does. And this is so neat because this is how Christ eliminated our sins. Sin is always listed as uncleanness in the Bible. So the white blood cell, it has three things that it does. Number one, when the white blood cell finds something that's foreign or unclean or that's a killer, the first thing it does is cover it completely. And if it takes more than one white blood cell, then they all gang up and they all work together to cover this uncleanness. Psalm 32 says, blessed is the man whose sin is covered. And so just like Christ's blood covers all of our sins, the white blood cell covers any kind of uncleanness, once it's covered, then the white blood cell takes the, let's say, the bacteria, and it starts breaking it up into little bitty tiny pieces. It, it essentially kills it, and not only kills it, but it breaks it completely apart. In the Psalms again, Psalm 2, verse 9, God said that he would dash his enemies in pieces. He would literally break his enemies in pieces, just like the white blood cell does with a germ that's in our body. First of all, it covers it like Christ's blood covers our sins. Secondly, it breaks it all in pieces. And then the third thing that it does is that it consumes it. It literally eats it. The white blood cell covers it, breaks it in pieces, and then eats it. Think about 2 Thessalonians 2. The man of sin the son of perdition, when he comes, it's already been said, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, that the Lord 
shall consume him with the spirit of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. Bright is always white. You're seeing the work of a white blood cell here. So it covers it, breaks it in pieces, and then consumes it. And once it consumes it, Sheila, it is as if the sin or the transgression or the uncleanness never existed ever. What happens when you and I sin, we transgress the laws of God, Christ's blood covers our sins, breaks our sin in pieces, consumes our sins, and when it's done, it's as if, this is called the atonement, it is as if we had never, ever done anything wrong ever in our lives. That's how God sees us when we stand before him in judgment because of what Christ did. The last thing the white blood cell does, when it covers it, when it breaks it in pieces, and when it consumes it, the very last thing that the white blood cell does is it dies. Think about Jesus on the cross. When he said, it is finished, the Bible says he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He died because the work that he was there to perform was done. That's how the white blood cells deal with germs, bacteria, viruses, anything that enters into our body that's unclean like sin. That's how the white blood cell does it. This is working in our bodies right now. Now, since that's such a perfect, beautiful model of Jesus Christ and how Jesus works, you and I Every day that we live, we are being saved from death because of the work of the white blood cells in our body. Just the way Christ is saving us and keeping us from all sins and having all of our transgressions forgiven, and it's what gives us eternal life. Again, we know. We know the scientists are working on ways, and there's multiple ways of doing this. They're working on ways of getting the human body to stop dying, to stop having disease or sickness, to stop having any kind of corruption in us, to alter our genetic structure, to alter our very blood. And think about it. White blood cells are just that. They are cells. Those cells were formed by the DNA. They're making synthetic blood now. Who would have thought? Yeah. Artificial. Anything that's synthetic is fake. It's not real. And you know this as well as I do. The very word synthetic is from the Hegelian dialect. Yes. Thesis versus antithesis creates synthesis. And anything synthetic is a fusion of two things that don't belong together and yet they're going to, I never could figure out how, you know, oil and water don't mix. How come the salad dressing I have is a mixture of oil and water and they never separate? I never figure that out, okay? <laughs> we're, we're living in a world right now, Sheila, where even in the quantum world, I've talked about this before, a quantum computer, the computers that you and I are using right now are operating on a long string of zeros and ones. They're called bits. And this goes back to the early days of the ENIAC computers that took up an entire warehouse. And guys were flipping switches either on and off, and that was programming the computer. The switch was either on or off. Quantum computers, the ones they're using right now, and they're developing a greater capacity for these things. Quantum computers either have a switch that is on, a switch that is off, or a switch that is in what's called its superposition, which means the switch is both on and off at the same time. I cannot even, in my mind, I cannot fathom how a light switch, the light switch in the room that you're in right now, is either in an off position or an on position. And when it's on, the light is on. When it's off, the light is off. I cannot conceive in my mind of what they call a qubit, a quantum bit. A quantum bit is in a state where it is both on and off at the exact same time. I have no idea how that works. But that's the synthesis of the Hegelian dialect. It is taking two things that are opposite, and it's fusing them together. 
So think about your, your cell phone or your tablet or your computer. My computer does a lot of things, but I do not regard my computer as being alive. I, however, am alive. There's things that my computer can do that I can't do. There's things that I can do that my computer can't do. This is something that Ray Kurzweil theorized about. This is something that an idea that's been around for probably the last 40 years. When men decided that they could play chess better if they used a computer program to help them play chess. It's called centaur chess. You know what a centaur is. Yes, I do. It's a half human, half beast. When these guys play chess games and they use the computer to aid and assist them, what they're doing is that they're migrating the ability to choose or the ability to deceive someone, which is what we humans do, with the ability that computers have to look into the future in just a few milliseconds. When they combine those together, that's what's called centaur chess is. And so we're looking at a future of, here are these portable devices, our phones, our tablets, our computers, our gaming systems, our virtual reality headsets, that's bringing the fascination of the computer world one step closer to being fully integrated with man. In other words, the computers are dead, we are alive, at some point there is going to be the, the new humanity that is a fusion of humans and technology, a fusion of, let's, let's say it the way the Bible says it, the fourth kingdom of the book of Daniel, literally they mingle themselves with the seed of men. Literally, they cause an augmentation of man's DNA by fusing something that's in them into the seed of man or the DNA of man, which will then alter who he is, what he is, what he does, how he thinks, how he fights off bacteria. It's going to change. You mentioned synthetic blood. They're going to change human blood. They're going to change the human's brain capacity. Imagine your mind being able to, just at a thought, your brain being able to tap in to the entire database of world knowledge simply because you have a chip in your brain that has access to the internet, the World Wide Web. And just by thinking about it, you can receive or transmit thoughts. You can receive thoughts from other people. You can receive information downloaded into your brain instantaneously. This is something that a god can do. And that goes right back to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden and what the serpent promised Eve. Well, and don't you find it fascinating, Mike, that, I mean, let's face it, Satan's always had a fascination with our DNA, our genes, our blood. It's not surprising all these attempts to corrupt what God made. The genetic tinkering that's gone on in this whole crew of characters that have had to try to breed the perfect human fetuses, the eugenics movement, which originated, of course, as we know, in the 19th century England, aimed at improving, think about this, the hereditary qualities of the population by keeping the birth rate of the unfit in check. And of course, we know how that seeped into the Nazi grotesque abuse of this false science. But this is the fascinating part of this is Jesus didn't redeem us by dying as a sinner, but he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice before God. Perfect man, perfect blood, which satisfied the demand for the broken Amen. for the broken law. He didn't take upon himself our sin, but rather the penalty for our sin. Isn't that fascinating? Well, it sure is. And think think of this, okay? God wrote man's DNA. God wrote the 66 books of the Bible that we have. By the way, I'm going to throw something in here. You're going to like this, okay? That Christ is figured as the head, and we are depicted as the body. How does the head communicate with the body? The head communicates with the body. The brain is connected to the spinal cord. The spinal cord extends all the way down through your, your backbone, your spine, your vertebra. And on each side of every vertebra that you have, there's two nerve bundles. One comes out to the left, and one comes out to the right. 
And so the brain then transmits information through the spinal cord to, let's say I'm going to move my left hand, then it sends a signal to my le to the left side of my body. If I'm going to move my right hand, it sends a signal to the right side of my body. And how my brain communicates with my body is down through the spinal cord and through those nerve packages that come out on both sides. Here's the neat thing, Sheila. You have 33 bones in your vertebra system, 33 bones. So what that means is the spinal cord has 33 places where it sends out nerve bundles to either the left side or the right side of your body. So every vertebra that you have has two of those nerve bundles that come out either to the left or the right. That's 66. That's the number of books that are in the Bible. That's how God, the head, communicates with us is through the 66 books that are in the Bible. I love stuff like this. Okay, God created man pretty cool. Now the devil wants to destroy that. Bingo. And and what's been happening is people are saying, oh, that's terrible. They want to change man's DNA. We don't want that. God wrote a book called the Bible. And you said it earlier. Satan wants to destroy God's creation. He wants to destroy God's word already in churches all over the place. And this is why we have so many bad things going on in churches in America is that they have already been taking verses out of the Bible. First yeah. John 5, 7, Acts chapter 8, verse 37, the teaching that Jesus did about this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting, you'll find those verses in King James. You won't find them in the New Translations. They took them out. The scholars didn't like certain things that were in the manuscripts, and so they took them out. DNA editing originated in the churches first. Now the scientists know how to do it. And there's there's one more thing I want to give you. God created man in his image, in God's image. Man is going to create a God in man's image. Yes. Now think about it. Man has a wicked heart. Man is an adulterous, lying, deceiving, stealing, murdering soul. That's who man is. So man right now is in the process of creating artificial intelligence, robotics that already can do things that men cannot do. What man is doing, he is creating a God in the image of man. When they make these robots, they make them to look like people. As man is creating a God in the image of man, Man may not be aware of it, but what he is injecting into this artificial intelligent machine, the ability to lie, the ability to steal, the ability to kill without a conscience. We already have computers. Pentagon developed a computer, an artificial intelligence system, and taught it how to deliberately lie to a human. When we create this God that's going to be stronger than us, faster than us, more powerful than us, smarter than us. When we create it in our image, it is going to have all of the wickedness that man has in him, and that wickedness is going to rule over mankind. I think that wickedness is that wicked that was spoken about in Second Thessalonians 2, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, Mike, it is always a pleasure to have you on the program. Such a fascinating discussion today, and I encourage people to check out your work there. The information is linked on today's bio, September 7th. Pastor Mike, thank you for coming on the program, and do come back and see us real soon. Thank you, Sheila. Will do. God bless you. Folks, that was Pastor Mike Hoggard from Bethel Church. Do check out his information. It's linked on today's bio. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow. Thursday, September 8th, the one and only Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. And we have a fantastic special surprise for you on Friday. Be sure to tune into that program. Good night and God bless.